Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco's Sunday Morning Worship Service Podcast. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to uusf.org. While you're there, check out our monthly newsletter, Weekly Flame, and much, much more. As a young person, I imagined it might be fun to be in the military. Something about the discipline, the clear instructions, the structure of it all seemed enticing. And strangely, although maybe not strangely, so too did intentional religious communities, monasteries and religious orders seem appealing to me and for some of the same reasons. Then at some point, having forgotten all this, but some point life got busy with career and a household with child and a dog. But the desire for the monastery came back stronger. For a while, I even kept a picture of the Holy Trinity Monastery in Meteora in Greece the one pictured on the cover of your order of service. I kept it tucked away. I'd pull it out in furtive moments, like sneaking time with some secret lover, and stare at it. Oh, to be in that lonely cell, to be on the top of that cliff, where no one could get to me doing all the quiet things that people who live in such places do. Well, a girl has to be careful what she asks for. One day my husband came home and said he'd been invited to start up the office in India of the nonprofit consulting organization that he's part of. And living in India, close to that part of our family. It's something we had promised to do if ever we got the chance, which is how I became this thing called a trailing spouse, a name I never quite got used to. And I suppose in our new life there, I could have, I could have entered into a life of activity the way so many trailing spouses did, but, well, there was certainly plenty I could have done, but. Having just made the decision to step away from the headlong tumble of life and thirsty, thirsty at my core for some slowness, 
for some quiet, for study, I decided to keep life small, sequestered. So somehow I made the busy, cramped city of Mumbai and my few rooms in it into a monastery. It was a place into which my husband and daughter appeared every day, and I welcomed them like the monks do to the guests. But then they left. They left this place and left me to its emptiness, and I filled it with my monkish disciplines, and I loved it. When it was time to come back to the United States, I was definitely missing bigger community and the complicated fray of life, too. But I also returned wanting to mix the best of my Mumbai monastic time with the best of ministry and life in the fray of community and the, and the world. I keep quotes on my computer desktop, things I want to remind myself of, and one is by the 15th century late medieval writer and resident of monastic life, Thomas Akempis. Later in life, he would be in charge of instructing the novices. To them, he once wrote, if you wish to grow in your spiritual life, you must not allow yourself to be caught up in the workings of the world. You must find time alone, away from the noise and confusion, away from the allure of power and wealth. Monasteries have for centuries been just the places for people who seek such things. Places of vows that take you away from the pursuit of power and wealth, or are supposed to. Disciplines that make room for other things to take the place of what you've set aside. Things that take you inward. Years ago, when I was traveling in Bangkok, each morning near where I would stay, near the local temple complex, there would be this long row of young monks walking single file through the neighborhood. Many of them were maybe elementary or middle school aged, as I recall, their heads shaved, carrying their begging bowls, having taken temporary vows. I was told that many Thai families considered it important to have part of a boy's upbringing that he be spent to spend some of his time with the monks, learning the disciplines and the values there, the ones they hoped the boys would take with them into adulthood. Of course, rituals and disciplines are inherent to so much of monastic life across time and across traditions. Benedict of Nursia, you may have heard of him, he's the author of one of the most famous book of, well, rule book, guide to such a life and to the making of it in his sixth century treatise. The structures he wanted to put in place, they were partly a way to help the community function well, but they were ultimately about creating opportunities and habits for invitations to go deeper. 
They allocated time for rest and chores, a little bit of free time, lots of gatherings in every day for collective worship and prayer, but also stretches for mandatory silence and study. Most famously, the entire rules of St. Benedict begin with one word, listen. The other day, walking on the silent streets that you described so well, Dennis, eerily silent streets in my daily sunrise ritual of walking the dog, she, who is completely lost in the present moment every morning, delighting in creation, particularly the world of scent, well, on this walk, I noticed a car racing up the street, burning rubber, as it were, racing. But when I looked ahead, I noticed what it must have too, that up ahead awaiting it was a red light. It wasn't the first time in the week I had seen exactly that same trajectory. Racing to the red light, I said to myself under my breath, and it seemed like more of a metaphor. A few months ago, you and I and the whole world were often racing toward the red lights, weren't we? Busyness, of course, can become a habit, even an addiction, actually. Part of its appeal, though we may not notice it as such, is that it often stops us from having to ask the bigger, scarier questions, things like, who are we? How are we? Where are we in this life right now, and is that where we want to be? It stops us from thinking about the fact that we and all the people we love won't be around forever, the fragility and the tenuousness of everything we build. There is reason that illness and loss, they often press us right down into the fundamental truths of life, the ones worth living and dying for, and it's in part because they slow us down enough for the questions to catch up with us. Well, my loves, we are, most of us, slowed down. Have you noticed? We are bathed in silence these days, in stillness, in waiting, forced to listen. We didn't officially take vows of poverty, but other than food, most of us aren't spending much on anything but food these days. What is there to spend it on? And even the least among us who is inclined to be obedient, at least those who understand what's going on around us right now, what we're dealing with, are heeding the strict orders that come from our mayors and our governors. As for chastity, it's been forced on some. Others may be, I don't know, so irritated with their partner who's around all the time that it's a natural outcome of all this staying at home. I do secretly hope that some are breaking this vow because 
I am secretly praying for a mini baby boom when all this is over because we will need to see lots of new life. And instead of rushing toward the red light, my friends, you and I, we've been plunged, haven't we, into a kind of modern temporary monasticism. We've been made to take some temporary vows and hold out our begging bowls every day and see what the day offers. It helps, I think, frame what we're going through to think of it that way. Did you know that those who are in charge of heading up the novices in a monastery, they often talk about the struggle and the loss that these young, new priests or nuns feel, how the novitiates struggle to be in this place without the noise and the trappings of the world, how hard it is to live this voice, this vow of committed life in close quarters to a select group of others, how strange it feels to have so much silence. They talk about how there's this period of resistance and mourning. Does that sound familiar to you? I mean, even I, who intellectually thought I understood and had a hold on what we are going through, when it occurred to me the other day that the stay-at-home rule might be extended, which makes total sense that it might be, I started to cry. This forced asceticism, the stripping away of so much of what we knew and, and know to be life, it's painful, it's hard, it's full of loss. Funerals we can't attend, friends we can't see, plans we can't make, the novices of this COVID order of monks and nuns, well, we are probably in some collective mourning and struggle to adjust to the new disciplines we have entered into. But the elders in the monasteries, they're clear that there's a lot to learn if their novices and novitiates can stay with the effort, stay in it, Things happen, after all, when we focus, when our focus is narrowed, right? When it's narrowed to just a few essential things. Think about it, who has noticed recently things in their neighborhood that have been there for as long as they've lived there that they never saw before, hidden in plain sight, as it were? Who? who started paying attention to the tastes or found themselves lost in the ritual moment, almost sacred, of chopping vegetables in preparation for the night's meal? Who has remembered a long-lost friend and been moved to reconnect? When life gets small, one of the surprises is that it can get bigger, too. The rule of St. Benedict puts significant emphasis on ways to make life smaller so we could go deep into it, but also 
in the importance of living in harmony in our community. Does that have any relevance to any of you? If your roommates are sitting next to you right now, um, don't nod and pretend like you understand that there could be strife in close quarters. Just furrow your brow like you have no idea what I'm talking about and say some dismissive sound like, huh? And then listen carefully. Benedict invited people to go deep into the imperfection of life and find the gifts hidden there, and that included our time together. The communities put strong emphasis on things like accepting one another as we are. Life together, they were clear, wasn't a chance to now really spend some time fixing the other person's flaws. It was, it was and is about your practice discipline of looking for and finding the good in the other. And the monks and nuns will point out the obvious that the hard work isn't just living together per se, but it's in learning to live with those who are, well, who your heart's resisting, let's say. And in this regard, the novices, they were pushed to see those people in particular as the ones who had something to teach them about the nature of love, the ones who had the most to teach them about some place of spiritual hardness or immaturity. Mind you, we're not talking about abusive behaviors. We all have the right to resist those and get help and get away, but we're just talking about how we often find ourselves together, especially in times like these. And if all of your loved ones, by the way, are outside of the house or apartment and you live alone, don't think you're exempt from the challenge of the work. It waits for us at every corner. Most monastic communities also were huge fans of fixed schedules, so maybe this will be useful. So much time and so much structure has been taken, well, we have so much time and so much structure has been taken away from all of us that we can often find ourselves feeling at sea. People have reported that to me, that days can go by, and so, the monks would argue for a good old rigid schedule to build in time for rest and eating and chores. After all, the gardens need to be tended and the food made and schedule time for things you thought you never had time for, too. Overall, though, in the spaciousness that we're allowed, we are reminded to embrace the chance to listen. I woke up recently, weeks after having felt busy making sure that I knew how to work remotely and weeks after getting a house that normally held three readied for a fourth permanent resident with places for sleeping and study for everyone. And when the business and busyness of all of that first wave or two of adjustment was done, I was out walking the dog and I had a moment that went deep. You know the moments. It was one where the silence was thick 
and firm and abundant. And I looked up and I felt like I was in some kind of a walled garden for a moment. The birds were so loud. I wondered, are they always this busy and loud singing and talking? And the trees, they seemed more imposing than I remember them, like these stately matriarchs and patriarchs all standing guard, aunts and uncles along the street, and the flowers and the lushness of the air even, and the colors around me blew me away, and it all felt vibrant and it felt breathing and brighter, and that we had entered into some sort of magical place only It was a street I have walked on any number of times and never felt was particularly remarkable. And I thought, I feel like I'm in a cloister. I was like our poet on his run in a world transformed. And then I thought, oh, Vanessa, we're back in the monastery. May we all live deeply into this time, listen, love one another better, see the world with new eyes. Enjoy the stopping from racing toward red lights of all kinds and come to know our own and one another's hearts more fully and listen for what whispers in the hush of a world gone quiet for a spell. Blessings, my fellow novices, in this monastery of our time. Blessings to us all. Society of San Francisco Sunday morning worship service. For more information or downloads of previous audio services, go to uusf.org. While you're there, check out our monthly newsletter, weekly flame, and much, much more.